Short Game, a podcast about short video games, uh, typically games under 10 hours, the kind of games that you can finish in an evening or a long weekend, and just in general about how games can respect your time and how video games and other games can fit into a busy life uh, that we all have. I'm your host, Shane Kelly, and joining me are three other fabulous hosts. Uh, first off, Laura Nash. I am ready to roll. Ha ha. Ha ha. We've got with us Nate Heiniger. Oh, I didn't know we were doing puns. We always do puns, Nate. <laughs> I crit failed my uh, my intro. <laughs> and Reagan is with us. Hail and well met, stranger. <laughs> Huzzah! Have a bread bowl. <laughs> and uh, that brings us to our topic this week. So I, I am I am not normally the one that introduces the podcast, um, and we're not normally talking about the sort of topic that is going to be on the agenda today. We have in the past done episodes on things that were not video games, um, but were sort of related to games or gaming in general. We've done episodes on tabletop games, but we've always um, well, I've always hesitated to do a show on my very favorite game, Dungeons & Dragons. Tabletop games like Dungeons & Dragons, oftentimes, uh, well, they really aren't a great, a super great fit uh, for our show, because we're talking about games that are short, games that respect your time. And Dungeons & Dragons is a game that when people think about uh, playing D&D, that might be uh, a process that there, well, I literally follow uh, on Instagram a video, a D and D game that has been running for eighteen years. Oh, I know just what you're talking <laughs> so, about. Yeah, those guys have an yeah. amazing set of miniatures. Oh my god! I'll put a link in the show notes. I have to, I have to find them again. <laughs> yes, That's amazing. Uh, they're at the game D and D on Instagram. Uh, if you want to follow them. And they've, uh, that's a kind of game where, you know, it certainly is over ten hours. I would say that eighteen <laughs> years is well over <laughs> ten hours. Um, and I, so I don't think also I really need to introduce uh, the concept of like what is D&D because I think it's permeated our culture at this point. If you play any video games, you're probably aware of what D&D is because the DNA of Dungeons & Dragons has permeated all of gaming. If you are in a game where you have HP for hit points, which is practically every game, then that's an innovation that was brought out by Dungeons & Dragons. So. Um, and if you're if you're in a game that with a fantasy setting, you're, you're playing a game that owes uh, its very DNA to Dungeons and Dragons. So again, if you if you if you want to see what D and D is all about, this probably isn't exactly the show for you. The topic today is going to be how can you play a game like D and D that has this reputation for being an all encompassing hobby that can absorb you know any amount of free time that you have. Um, and how can you play a game like that in a way that respects your time and your player's time? And how can you fit a tabletop game like that into a busy life and a busy schedule? That's really what kind of kept me away from D&D uh, for many, many years. You know, Shane and I obviously were, you know, we're brothers. We grew up together. And so our, our D&D experience in our very young life is probably basically the same um we played a little dnd uh maybe we can talk a little bit about sort of our personal histories with dnd but uh apart from some very a little bit of experience that we had when we were very young i had a long gap of basically my entire 20s yeah how did we not play in high school that seems I like a, know, something right? i think i was way too busy 
but we were all busy, busy teens, you know, super cool, busy, busy teens. teens. But um, like I, I played it a little bit when I was a, was very young, and then I didn't really play it almost at all through until I, I would say within the last sort of like three years or so. Which is kind of crazy to me. Like, so many people, D&D is this thing that they did when they were 13, 16, you know, before they had a car, that kind of thing. But for me, it's something that I've only been able to get into uh, as an adult by kind of reevaluating. The thing that kept me away from it was kind of expecting that it was going to be this enormous, endless activity where you needed to gather, you know, six nerds around a table for (laughs) 10-hour days for a month in order to like complete a campaign and uh, having, I'm sure Shane is going to talk about Shane is Shane has really facilitated uh, all of the good D and D in my life. Uh, but Shane uh, has a lot of really great ideas about how to make that experience work. So I personally have played D and D for um, well, my entire life. It feels like, but really I got uh, my first D and D set, which is the second edition books uh, from an older cousin. Oh, uh, man. Elliot. Freedom. I'm sure you're not Absolutely. listening, but Elliot. Mm-hmm. Elliot's the guy that uh, Elliot. that also just if only you knew rolled up one day yeah. and dropped off a milk crate full of a Sega Genesis and all of his games and just was like, I'm done with these. You can have them, kid. And like yeah. changed our lives forever. <laughs> yeah. Elliot, what hath you brought? <laughs> I wound up with uh, with a with a with a love of that kind of that kind of game. And I. I read those books. I would say more than I more than I played by a, by a lot. Um, and then later, uh, I kind of tried to expand, and, and there was used bookstores all around us. And I would always, you know, trawl those used bookstores for any um, tabletop role playing game books that I could find. Um, so I've played many different versions of D anD. d have played uh, at least as a player in every edition of D anD. d since second edition. Uh, and I've played a lot of other kind of similar games. So um, I have wasted a lot of time on D&D. And I have, as I've gr- grown a little older, I've changed my pers- perspective on on what makes the game great and what makes the game fun and how to play the game. And that's something I really want to talk about uh, during our podcast today. Uh, I know the rest of the you guys have played with me because we play sometimes over Skype. Uh, which is wonderful. It's delightful. Uh, And thank you for playing. But um, other than that, what is your history with this sort of game? Well, I've played with three different groups. I I started playing in Seattle uh, with a group of too many people. I think we made the mistake of all of our friends are our friends, so all of our friends must be in our D&D group. So um, an unwieldy band. um, And I started playing a bard, Immediately regretted it because I don't like keeping track of everybody's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, switched to a monk so I could kick people in the face and then decided I liked playing stupid characters and <laughs> had a really fun time playing a very, very stupid monk who liked cats, um, especially things that have been turned into cats that I would then chase around and forget were people. And when they finally got restored at the end of the quest, I would be sad and cry. Um, absolutely the best. Absolutely the best. <laughs> playing and dumb then, characters is so fun. Playing dumb characters is great. And then I, I moved um, back to Chicago and got a group of friends. And I think we let the narrative get away from us. Um, and that group disbanded because people got engaged and then stopped coming. And then people 
half the group literally left and we just kind of couldn't carry the plot forward anymore. So I'm really excited for this group that we're doing over Skype because um, one, you guys record a podcast once a week with me, so I know you're not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to abandon me mid-plot. And two, uh, we'll talk about this a little more, but I think the plot is a little bit um, shorter arcs. So we know we can finish this batch, move on, and we're not worried about um, a huge plot carrying us for months and months and months. Uh, Nate, how about you? Are you somewhere in between? Short of a single failed evening when I was in middle school, um, I have ne- had never played D&D until uh, playing with you guys. Um, and it was something that was always, you know, around. Um, obviously, I've played games and video games all my life, but it always felt like this impenetrable sort of hobby that I... One was a little overwhelmed by the concept of I loved RPGs, but like the idea that I had to do everything instead of like, you know, a controller in my character. And two, uh, I mean, to be completely honest, there was kind of a I don't know if stigma is the right word for it, but D&D's always been like really far out there as far as the uh, kind of culture of video games and, and stuff and it took me. You're um, too cool for us. I get it, Nate. You, I, I, well, I just have to, you know, <laughs> that's how it felt, right? And I think uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal from, uh, from Griffin from my favorite podcast, The Adventure Zone, and saying that, like, well, now we have LARPing to uh, say is like too far. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and yeah, we don't I, spend I, a week at a hotel pretending to be vampires, so therefore it's okay yeah. to spend all our time on Skype pretending to be clerks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to me, it was a lot of like the role playing side of it that I like felt like I would always have a hard time like buying into, and mm-hmm. I still do have some uh, difficulty with that. But the game itself, I just I love it. I've had so much fun playing with you guys and i uh now dm a group here in uh st louis you know i've had so much fun uh i don't really know what i'm doing but i that's part of the fun of it you know um and uh it's it's been a real eye eye opener for me for how great it's been and uh i play in two games and i I can i've because of some of the things that uh, shane has you know kind of taught us um uh, I can fit it into my life, and it's been it's been so much fun. Uh, Molly and I play together. It's uh, my friends and I play together. We play together. Uh, us here on the show, it's it's great. Yeah, and we've all we've all played. I think in a few different ways, and so I think we all have a few different strategies to talk about about how to kind of fit D and D into your life. Probably Shane more than the rest of us as our DM and resident D and D expert. The thing that makes D and D unique um, in terms of this aspect of the game. And the respect for your time that it can have is that kind of a good use of your time is entirely in your own hands with D&D. Unlike, uh, unlike video games where, you know, there, there's, there's not necessarily, um, uh, you're not going to be grinding for loot uh, for a thousand hours to get just the right drops. Even if you are playing a game where you're, you know, using XP to level up and you're, you're you know, an important aspect of the game uh, for your group is you know, get gathering resources in order to confront bigger and bigger threats. You know, it's, it's, it's entirely within your hands to control uh, how long that takes and how, how, how your, your time is used. A lot of people think when they play D and D for the first few times, 
Um, especially if you're playing with a bunch of new players, D and D can feel like a really slow game, and so I think that's that's a perception that I think has to be uh, looked at, at in terms of like how to how do we actually confront that? Because I've I've heard it said that D and D can be described as thirty minutes of fun squeezed into four hours, which <laughs> is uh, sometimes totally accurate. You it's not super fun to sit around and wait for other people, right? One of the ways that I, as the DM, really like to think about how you can you can confront that is it's it really is to to a large part in the hands of the dungeon master or the game master to keep that kind of aspect in check uh, because maybe more important than anything else that the DN, that the dungeon master is doing is reading the room and seeing you know if people are having a good time and you have a lot of tools in your toolbox that you can use to kind of move things along uh, to get to the good parts. I find a lot of people uh, in my, at my table um, get kind of bogged down in certain moments where, you know, we've been having a scene that's played out through dialogue, right? So we're having this sort of moment to moment interaction. Um, and then it's time to go do something that's going to take a long time, like travel from one city to another. And it's like, Oh, well, okay, I, I guess this is going to take forever. Well, it's in your hands. You can zoom in and out in time, so to speak. You can say, uh, you can have a montage sequence, or you can have a a moment where, you know, time jumps ahead by three months or six months or a thousand years. It's up to you. You know, I, I think um, just as a very brief side note, something that I think we ought to mention at this point is like a lot of what we're going to be talking about today are uh, DM strategies, strategies for the dungeon master to try and make sure that the game is progressing and staying fun for everybody at the table. But a lot of folks are going to come to D&D with a perspective. I know I did. Uh, that's just like, uh, well, I, I'm sure I would love to play D&D, but I don't know anybody who DMs a game or I don't, uh, I don't know, uh, like how to, I wouldn't want to be the person who like proposes it and, and is that dungeon master. But like the thing I would say to them is just, you know, be the dungeon master that you want to see in the world. Like there, there's oh, a true. lot of fun to be had as the DM. And we're going to be talking, I think, primarily about, uh, you know, D&D strategies for the dungeon master to try and make sure that you're, you're running a game that adults will want to, to play with you and won't feel like is a burden on their time and and uh you know won't and everyone's going to be having a good time even if they've got work in the morning that said i think the players have a lot more control than you think i think that um if you talk to the dm and your group about what you want you can decide when you want to zoom forward like i was in a group that was very combat focused and everyone um was expected to have their play uh their spell or their action kind of pre-prepped and then roll immediately, roll all their dice at once, you know, kind of have everything put together ahead of time because everyone really liked combat in that game. That was how they wanted to speed up the game. Other people speed up the game by um, making sure that two or three people are in each scene and other people can go get more chips. Like, <laughs> um, in Honestly, in Seattle, we had a game where we rotated uh, cooking chores and that made the eight-person game mean like someone would go leave the room, go, you know, cook for 20 minutes, and then we'd focus on those three characters for a little while. That's great. physically speeding up the game by moving people out of the room. So don't think that just because you're not in charge of the game doesn't mean you can't help um, make it 
fun for you because if you aren't really interested in one section, uh, think about a way that you can either work on your own character or do something else to keep yourself engaged. Because when everyone checks out and honestly, the biggest time sink is phones at the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. If people are on their phones, then you're never going to get through the game. So little things like that make life a lot better. So you mentioned this was an eight person game. Um, I've never had a game that was over five people that felt like it moved at a good clip. When you get into something like combat, uh, that's where the rules are at their most complex. You know, people are going to take a, 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 a one round in combat might take each individual person maybe five minutes, right? But we're talking about each each person's turn being about six seconds of time in the game. So it's important to... Uh, to to find ways to keep things moving along if you want to if you want to avoid that uh, kind of time sink element that you're going to run into. I, I personally like to have games with no more than like four or five people. Um, my favorite times to play have been playing with just three, which also makes uh, coordination easier. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the time you you know people worry a lot about you know oh well one of our four people can't make it this week. That's fine. That person has a cool side quest to go on this week, and you can always find some way to make that work. Yeah, one thing we do is if someone can't be there, uh, we just say that that person is, their character is just like really drunk that evening, and uh, they're still with us, and we just all get to role play, you know, what stupid thing is that they're doing instead of contributing (laughs) to the party. So... Uh, you know, they're, they've passed out in the middle of the owlbear fight and they got stomped on by the owlbear and then we had to spend some time digging them out or whatever. You know, you can include the fact that they're not there in the game. Yes. In, in one of my games, uh, all the all the gear, all the all the stuff they carry around with them uh, is loaded onto the back of a very ornery donkey. Uh, and whoever is not there is minding the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that, that's it, it, however you work something like that in fiction. That's uh, uh, that's that's one thing. But part of having uh, have, part of respecting your players' time, part of respecting your dungeon master's time, part of you know having a good game is making sure that everyone gets the spotlight at a certain point. This is a game uh, that you know if you were to look at just the rules, it's a it's a it's a little conflict resolution game where dice are rolled. Uh, but ultimately it's, it's a game about uh, story. And the reason people today, the reason that D and D has endured uh, for decades uh, is that it offers something that no other game has. And that's the ability to be the star of your own story. Uh, playing a, a character that suits you exactly uh, and being able to do whatever you like and having those, kind of cool moments that put you and your character in the spotlight on a regular basis turns this from being a game where you're just, you know, moving a little miniature around a board or, or maybe um, rolling some dice into something that's like the, your favorite TV show, except there's one character in that TV show that's your absolute favorite. And they're never going to do something where you smack your head and say, oh, wow, what a boneheaded move. Unless they crit fail. <laughs> I think everything that my characters always do are boneheaded moves, and that's 
kind of the fun of it. But that's a, uh, you know, a representation of yourself. Yeah, but you can't so, blame yeah. the writers. <laughs> it's true. You can't blame the writers. So, I mean, that's we've, we've talked a lot about kind of just sort of generally how people can uh, look at the game in a, in a time-conscious way. But I want to kind of dive directly into uh, the person who has the most control over whether time is respected at the table is the dungeon master. Uh, and Nate, you're a dungeon master yourself. You're, you, you, you run your own game. I want to talk about uh, running a game as a time-conscious dungeon master, strategies for preparation uh, and that you can use at the table to make sure that you're not wasting time. I've mentioned prep because I think prep is probably the biggest time waster um, for for D anD. d It's not it's not bad to prepare for your game. It's always it's good to prepare for your game, and in fact, sometimes it can be very fun. But the the pre- the preparation that you do should be preparation that makes things better at the table. And I think that I, over the years, have learned a lot of strategies that um, help me avoid something that I used to do all the time, which is get really super hyper into the story of the world that I'm creating and the NPCs that I'm bringing to life and all of that, and then throwing it out there at front of the players and, and then realizing, well, gosh, this isn't what they want in the game. Um, and I've just wasted maybe hours of my time. So I have... I have uh, I have put together a game that is not going to be respecting my time uh, because I am preparing something that's not going to get used at the table. Um, so, so what what is the dungeon master, Nate? What what do you think the dungeon master is responsible for at the table? Oof. Uh, so I've only been doing this for a little while, but I would say um, for me, it's uh, prepping the. I, I try to get the busy work out of the way that mm-hmm. I can foresee actually happening. You can't really prep for um, characters, uh, what they do. Um, but if I know there's going to be fights uh, or the potential for fights, I want to make sure that I know who will be involved in the the stat blocks and things like that. Um, and that I have the different avenues that my players could go ready so i don't have to say hold on just a minute let me do a little bit of research give me just a minute i don't know oh you went that way i didn't see that coming you know uh hold on everybody go take a break we'll be ready in 10 minutes (laughs) um yeah absolutely and and now nate when you're playing i know you you're playing mainly from kind of uh pre-published campaign modules right so that can that can present a problem if you haven't figured out what's at the end of this hallway and they decided, well, we're going to charge down this hallway Then you can get stuck kind of flipping through pages in a book. Yeah. And so that's actually my, um, my recommendation for anyone out there that is afraid of doing a D and D, um, and they want to do it, but are afraid of finding a DM. First of all, like Reagan said, do it, do it yourself because it, there's a lot of resources and there are these fantastic preset adventures where you get to manage the game and you have tons of creativity, but you're not, it is not up to you to develop the world or develop the story arc. You get to run it and there's a lot of chances to make your own mark on it, but 
it is not as daunting as going from scratch like a veteran DM like Shane will do. So for me, I make sure that I, I know the book and they're, um, they're in digest, digestible chapters, which is another thing that I try to do. Um, for me, I set in a session, I set goalposts or like finish lines. Um, cause we do play in very small sessions. We'll play on a weeknight. People work in the morning. We want to be done. We'll set small goals to meet for, you know, tonight they will accomplish one of these three things. Once that's done, we'll call it a night. And so I prep those areas. They hit one of them. We accomplish it. Good game. It was a lot of fun. See you next time. Yeah, short short sessions can can be harder than long sessions, I think. Uh, and, and setting like reasonable reasonable goals uh, is a big part of it. If you're thinking you can like tackle an entire like multi room dungeon with like five combat encounters and like multiple levels and stuff in one session, um, well, if that's your goal, you're either going to be playing for a really long time or the dungeon master and all the players are going to have to be on the same page about how they want to tackle things. They, you, you're going to have to say, okay, we're here to bash heads uh, and keep your dice in your hand. We got we to be bashing as many heads as we can. Really, I, I find it's, it's much more fun to kind of let things go with the flow. And so uh, with short sessions, you know, keeping, them, keeping one eye on the clock is always very important. Uh, that's really a, a, a tip for, for dungeon masters is to go through, if you are planning something, uh, have like a hard out um, in terms of different scenes. Like if you if you've got like a few scenes that you think are going to play out in a particular session, think about how long each one is going to take, and think of of a way to bail on on each one uh, if it hits a certain a certain time. It, it's 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 good to know all the have all that the, those notes and stuff at hand, but it's also very important to be able to kind of react on the fly and rewrite. If you've got something that needs to, as the, as the DM, it's more important that the session itself feel good than that you hit every piece of that pre-published adventure. Cutting five orcs from the orc encounter, no one but you is going to know. And they, the worst thing that could happen is that the players breeze through a fight with some orcs and feel good about themselves. Right. (laughs) You mean you, you mean you were letting us win Shane? You were letting yeah. you were letting what? me win. It it's actually the this is the unspoken job of the DM is that you're supposed to present an interesting world. You're supposed to put up incredible challenges, uh, and you're supposed to supposed to lose. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I thought it was weird that huge orc fortress just had one sleeping orc in it when we encountered <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Guarding that chest with all the all the gold. You know? Yeah, it was quite fortuitous. <laughs> <didn't> really <laughs> I kind of love that feeling that you you know when you get to the end of a session, like that's something that, and I, I don't want to you know blow smoke, but Shane does really really well. Is that um, you know we tend to end on a high note uh, every time, and that's gotta you know that's sometimes that means that we end an hour before I thought we were going to be done playing, but it's just you know we we find it, it feels so much better to end a little early on a really good point to end on. 
then to, you know, try and slug through something that, you know, once everyone is then tired looking at their phone and thinking about, you know, uh, am I going to get enough sleep tonight? So much better to have a shorter yeah, yeah. session and, and have a good out on a moment that makes sense to, to like leave it like, you know, a good positive, like a moment of glory or even better a cliffhanger yeah. of mm-hmm. you open the door, you bust through and then suddenly, oh no, it's a boulder. <laughs> <laughs> The worst way to end, uh, I think, is in the middle of a fight. Oh, like, correct. The, no one's going to want to pick things back up in the middle of a fight. And if, you, if you're thinking that you're going to have to do that, find some way to just bail. Like, have the enemies run away. Have a, new, a bigger, badder enemy show up and, and chase people off. Uh, you're the DM. You can do whatever you want. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to question how you wrapped up. And if you're ending, you can figure out how to resolve that later. Like, you can have that big bad <laughs> you a week or two, yeah. You figure out what the stats are for that big bad, you know, over the weekend. Like, figure that out later. You can, you can, you know, when you're picking up next time, you can explain anything away. Yeah, one thing, to, too, that has made it um, significantly easier for me as somebody who's, who's not only new to the game but new to DMing is the amount of resources that are quickly available online. Absolutely. Um, so there are I, – I play with a laptop in front of me. Uh, my players, uh, some of them are actually using paper player sheets. Some are using the book. Some are using uh, computers or, or uh, iPads or whatever. But there are combat trackers. Uh, there's spell books. There's anything you need to look up. It's a search away. So if you don't yeah. know something, no problem. I guess I'm old school because I totally, well, except when I'm playing with you guys over Skype, I do not play with a laptop in front of me. You've been um, doing it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I find that um, any kind of technology at the table can pose a distraction, and that includes for me. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's also just in general. Um, there's, there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Um, and if you, um, if you are the DM and you don't know the rule for something, I find it much better to improvise something, um, and then to look it up, uh, and break the flow. Um, that's something that, you know, the, the dungeon master is explicitly empowered to do by the rules is to make in the moment rulings. Um, and as long as you do it on a, you know, in a fair way, um, then, you know, it, it's, it's usually gonna, gonna work out just fine. Nobody's gonna care that, you know, you couldn't, you, that you, what's gonna break the, the fun of, of, you're in the middle of combat and somebody's being held underwater and you're like, oh shit, now I need to look up the drowning rules. How long can he be held underwater? <laughs> um, like, like nobody wants to take, take a break at that moment of like stress. They want to, they want the drama of having the dice roll at that point. So mm-hmm. just, just make, uh, just pick a, uh, make it a constitution save or something. I don't even know what the real, real rule is in that, in that scenario, but, uh, somebody's going to write in, I bet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> listeners, if you know the proper rule, don't, don't, don't tell us. We'll figure it out. Yeah, oh I think something that, um, often I'll, I've seen, uh, dungeon masters, uh, Shane and, uh, my other two, uh, two of them let, if someone said, 
I want to do this task investigation question mark they would either correct quickly or say make a case for why it's investigation and you can do it rather than spend 30 minutes of let me check I'm going to go check the concordance mm-hmm. which um, one of the, the, the other DM did and it slowed down the game so badly because he was so worried about being a incorrect dungeon master that he really slowed down the gameplay and i will say that uh, fourth edition of dungeons and dragons was quite complicated fifth edition is more mind uh theater of the mind so you have a lot less worry about um the rules for a attack from a diagonal <laughs> Yeah. Did in fourth edition. Um, so I think that also made it a lot easier. It's a less logistical challenge and much more of a do you want to do something cool? Can you justify it? Please justify it because everyone wants you to do something yeah, cool. Yeah, totally. There hasn't been such a great time to get. Now, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but there hasn't been such a great time to get into Dungeons and Dragons in at least a decade because probably probably two or three because fifth edition is great fifth edition is first of all the books are not very expensive now i'm not sure that's a big change but like i i got into it uh like i i got into it and was surprised how how like it wasn't a big deal you know you can buy a player's handbook for like 30 40 bucks and that's really all you need unless you're the dm in which case you need one other book it's really simple you actually don't even need that there are free rules online that you can use to play yeah uh, i've got you the can download guide and hardly use it yeah and the 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 books are super good like i have read through a lot of role-playing game books and this is just night and day better than almost anything else i've ever read both from just like uh, like at the table playing like this is more fun kind of way but also just in terms of the books themselves there are things i love from every edition but i definitely think that so that that's a part of it but i just really think that D D in general is having a moment right now um the fifth edition is a really high quality product they've done an amazing job with it they're continuing to do a great job supporting it with so smart you know new adventures being released all the time and they just had their digital tools, D&D Beyond, go into beta, and they I've tried them out, and they look really great. Um, but kind of beyond that, just culturally, I think we're getting to a point where um, D&D is still something that everyone knows generally what it is. Which, who would, have, who would have thought that that would still be the case in 2017? You know, how right? long has it been since the 1970s? And this is still like... <laughs> yeah, and then, of course, we, we're, we're having things that uh, kind of look back on it with a fondness that I don't think people looked back on it with for many years. So the, when you were saying, Nate, you never really considered getting into D and D. Um, I think it's because, you know, maybe the, the culture wasn't ready to look back kindly on this kind of strange, uh, hobby, but now we've got things like stranger things making big, uh, you know, you know, big news uh, with people getting excited about the idea of like, well, hey, you know, that does look like fun, doesn't it? Those kids were playing D&D. I remember, uh, you know, my old my my older brother had all those books. I wonder what, what if there was anything to that. Celebrities are playing D&D on, you know, on stage at conventions, on YouTube, on Twitch. Absolutely. I had players in my game uh, who have never played D&D before, but have watched hundreds of hours of D&D being played um, on on Twitch. They watch a lot of Critical Role. And I, I think that's actually the biggest change. The fundamental biggest change uh, to D&D today 
is that seeing what the game looks like when it is played at the table is accessible to people, whereas in the past, it never was. Yeah, and and like Dan Harmon and those guys who are like really funny and really popular that are showcasing how silly and like stupid uh and stupid in like the positive way like it's just so the the situations you get in in D with your friends are unlike anything i've ever done in any sort of capacity where everyone's laughing so hard at the most absurd of situations that you put yourself in it, it's well, just it's so funny i'll also say that there's a lot more acceptance for a game that doesn't take itself so seriously. I think if you just read the books, you would think that D&D is very much about serious uh, serious people on serious quests with serious voices and doing serious <laughs> things. And I think that there's been more acceptance of being goofy or funny or silly and getting into absurd situations and not having the pressure to have your entire group be uh heroes or protagonists you can be a lot more we're kind of a group of side characters in many ways mm -hmm. um no one has to play the bland hero and i think that uh dnd in the past has a bunch of baggage and a bunch of like the heroic epic quest that must take thirty-five thousand hours to complete you don't have to do that anymore you can be a mercenary you can just want treasure. Yeah, no one takes the uh, the like bizarre mid eighties uh, like demonic panic stuff seriously anymore. Um, and also, like we're past the nineties period where where only the only people who are like actively playing D anD D in the nineties uh, were like super serious about it. Um, because they were the ones who'd survived the eighties when everyone thought that everyone who was playing it, like, I, I think it was like the, I think the eighties, uh, killed off a lot of the childlike fun of D and D because just of how it was viewed in the culture. And it took a long time for that to come back, but now it's back and, you know, it's it's just a it's just a really fun way to spend some time with your friends and it you know, Yeah. Uh, excuse me though. Excuse me. Scorchhammer Kill Jr. is a very serious character, and I feel like you're just you're disrespecting him. Scourge Scourge is great. We all love Scorchhammer Kill Jr. When I when I heard that you wanted to play a half orc bard, my uh, my eyes rolled <laughs> and uh, took me a while to fall in love with Scorchhammer Kill, but uh, fall in love I did. J yeah. Junior. Um, so uh, I I want to kind of throw out some tips. Uh, for people who are maybe interested in getting a game started. Um, really, maybe we should have led with this, but... Uh, you can so, always fix that later. No, <laughs> no, no, no turning back now. Uh, so I want to talk about, uh, to people who might be considering uh, be, being a dungeon master or trying to find uh, a game. Um, so first off, I want to start with, if you're thinking about being a dungeon master and, and running your own game, Good on you. The game needs more people who are willing to organize. Um, but you should know up front that there are two parts to being a dungeon master. The first part is running the game. And the second part is herding cats. Um, <laughs> particularly Organizing, with adults. Yeah, we're, we're talking about this for time-constrained adults, right? So um, there, are, there are tools that can help 
you organize people to, to get together for this kind of a thing. But imagine if, ima- just imagine throwing a dinner party. Every week? <laughs> at, like, every, every week that's four hours long, right? That sounds like a complex endeavor, right? Well, that's what Dungeons & Dragons can be. There are, there are ways to make this a lot easier. Certainly, you know, you're not necessarily going to have to spend hours in the kitchen cooking. Um, you can just order a pizza. And in fact, I, I encourage you to order a pizza uh, for the dungeon. <laughs> Let's master. talk about pizza for but a second. The short uh, game endorses Domino's pizza. <laughs> but so the first thing I want to say is um, I want to do talk about organizing a game. And then I want to talk about tips for the DM that can help kind of make a good use of your time, right? So when it comes to organizing a game, we've talked about there are more people interested in playing D&D today than there were, you know, five years ago or more. Uh, This is a great time to be starting a new game. First off, I would just say go on Facebook or on Reddit and look for, um, they have LFG groups, right? Looking for game. It used to be looking for game groups. It used to be that... Uh, if you wanted to get a game started, you would go to your friendly local game shop and put up a flyer. And that is still a super great strategy, and you should probably do it. Uh, but you might not have to, uh, because the online community for games like D&D is getting strong enough uh, that you know you can go on Facebook and look at, up you know, D&D and the name of your city, and you'll probably find a group uh, that is... You know, if you live in a big city, you're going to find maybe many groups that are, are large and have a lot of people who would be willing to willing to try and play. You, you, you yeah, if you if you well, that's if you want to reach out to strangers, if you don't think you know enough people who are interested in playing. But you might be surprised how many people will raise their hand if you just post on your Facebook, on your Twitter, you know, wherever you socialize with people like, hey, does anyone want to play d and I'm thinking of organizing a game. I'm going to be dungeon mastering. You know, people that you wouldn't expect will raise their hand. I would go further than that. And I would say, does anyone want to learn how to play D&D? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Because you, it, it, as, the, as the DM, you're, one of your, your big responsibilities is to be open and welcoming to new players. And you will be surprised who's might have actually played before. I remember getting into like a musical theater kid's car um, who was one of the like four people I knew in Houston who knew every single word to Joe's Amazing Typecoat Dreamcoat. And he had character sheets in his back seat. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you play D&D? <laughs> And he quickly brushed amazing. them under the cha- under the uh, under the chair and said, "No, no, 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 no. Those are those are not." Oh, I- and he said, "Yes, we have a group." So <laughs> no, th- those aren't mine. I mean, I'm using that to roll to. weed. <laughs> <laughs> if you have friends who are into either board games or video games, odds are they will enjoy playing D anD. d So, if you have someone who's hesitant, but you know that they like games. Maybe egg them on a little bit because I guarantee that they'll have a good time once you get started. Once you once you have a few people, and it's definitely absolutely a hundred percent best to play with friends or even close friends right right up front. You know where where you will be comfortable, they'll be comfortable. You you also want to have some kind of line of communication about the game. I have found that uh, you know back in the day for me it was always email. Uh, talking to my to my players uh, these days, I use a uh, Facebook group that I made just for the uh, just for the group. 
Uh, there's great features in there. Actually, I really can't say enough good things about Facebook for organizing D&D. If you've never heard of it, it's uh, Facebook.com. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, just a quick sign up. I mean, it, it, first off, I mean, the main thing is everybody's on Facebook practically. Um, even if they're only logging on to talk to their grandma, maybe they can log on to their to talk to their grandma and, you know, see when the next game is. And it has, you know, you, you've got your group chat covered. So there's some logistics can be taken care of there. Uh, and there's events that you can do private events for a Facebook group, um, which is a great way to get people to RSVP. Um, so I really can't say enough good things about that, but there's other, other tools that you can use. Um, there's, um, you know, meetup.com apparently is, is a, as a hub for finding gamers and things like that. We use Slack um, mostly. I mean, we use Slack to plan the short game. And so uh, if you're just looking for a good group chat that has a lot of versatile features, Slack is great and it's free for small groups. Uh, you know, we use it to plan the show and we just sort of added an extra channel for Dungeons and Dragons. And that's been enough for us to do most of our planning. And it's been pretty, pretty much fine. All of this is going to sound kind of like humdrum and boring. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit obvious, but, it's it wasn't obvious to me when I started uh, as a dungeon master um, or even when I started again more recently uh, that it is that a huge part of the job of the DM is not just to be the judge at the table. It's to be the organizer in general. People love to go do something fun playing D&D, &D, you know, show up on Thursday night uh, and, you know, you know, bring a bring a number two pencil uh, that's something that most people are are good with, but picking that right night can be tricky. And I'll tell you, there's there's something that I do now. Um, I send out. I have a, a group that's larger than what I actually would typically have at my table in any given session, and I send out every week uh, a doodle poll. If you're not familiar with Doodle, uh, Doodle is a website where you can basically put different time slots and send out a link that people can click on, and then they can, without creating an account or anything, they can just pick a, a time that works for them or check off all the times that do work for them. Uh, and that just works for us to pick a time. Um, and, you know, I just go with whatever is the date and time that is going to work for the most people. I think the key thing here is that you kind of have to decide on what communication tools you're using before you start and say, hey, you want to play D&D with me? That's great. Here's our Facebook group. That way you don't have like one person texting you, one person DMing you on Twitter, one person calling you on the phone if they're calling from a decade in the past. And uh, like everyone is on the same page and using the same communication tools so that it's all one thing. You don't have to be thinking about a bunch of different, everyone can see what's going on all at the same time. Yeah, it's also just fun sometimes. Like the next day after an event, you know, everyone's like posting like, oh my God, I can't believe we chopped the head off that dragon. Or like, hey, what were the stats on that new sword we got? And, you know, the DM can post the stats and everyone can celebrate together. It's just like, it keeps this connection going. Yeah, it, that's a really good point. It gives you like having a built-in community means that, you know, once everyone leaves the table, there's like on our Slack, we even still have a, we have a channel for in-character chit-chat. And we don't use it all the time, but sometimes I just, you know, I'm away from the table and I think of something that, that Horace Sunbather, the paladin, my, my character, would have said in the moment, you know, and I want a place to put that, uh, you know, that Horace line that I just came up with. And we have a spot for that. 
And it's great to have like a, a, a small community of people who are playing the game with you that you can still you can still have that conversation and kind of carry the game out into the rest of you know the rest of your time. It's just an, it's just another way to enjoy the game. So I, I want to kind of address some stuff that I know we're talking a lot to potential dungeon masters right now, um, but that's who is going to make or break this experience for everybody uh, for the reasons we've discussed. So so I have some no tips that I want to share with you. If this is your first time, first off, uh, you know, you're Reagan, you're absolutely right. Don't stress. This is something that everyone is doing for fun. Um, it's, uh, it's supposed to be a game. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I've seen people get a little bit over invested. Um, and that's kind of, uh, it's yeah. kind of easy to do. You're not writing your grand novel. You know, you're not going to publish this thing at the end of it. The The goal is everyone sits down at the table and has fun. Reagan, you, you hit the nail on the head because the world building impulse is something that I think draws a lot of people to dungeon mastering. And it is super cool to kind of imagine this, this, you know, complete world that your story can take place in. But what happens at the table is the important thing. And the story that comes from the players is much more important than anything that ever happened outside of what those players are doing in your world. I've, I've sat down for uh, a game uh, that I thought was going to be, you know, some, some high-flying action, and then had uh, my dungeon master at that time basically unload uh, 30,000 years of history, starting with the creation of the world, <laughs> and um, and I, you know, that game fizzled real fast. So my my tip here related to this is start small. Um, start small means start with maybe a town and uh, know who the people are in that town uh, and know what the trouble is in that town. A small town in trouble is the way to start a D and D game. If you're going to do a one shot, or if you're even going to start something bigger. Uh, you want to have a small area with like not not a lot of like complex backstory that needs to be explained. Uh, something with a straightforward goal. And there's a lot of really good uh, like material that you can use for this. You know, I, I have uh, my actual DMing experience is pretty minimal, uh, but the few times when I have DM'd, um, I've always worked from one shot published adventures and something that I'll try to make sure we have a, a link to in the show notes is that, you know, obviously there's a lot of great published material that you can go out and buy. You can get, you know, things from wizards of the coast uh, and there's a DMs guild, which is a website where you can uh, go and buy like sort of homebrew published adventures by other people. But there's also a lot of really great stuff. One of my favorite resources is a, I'm going to get the name wrong, but there or not at all, but there's a uh, there's a contest every year for one page uh, Dungeons & Dragons adventures where somebody has to create a Dungeons & Dragons adventure including all of the details you need to run it as well as the map and fit it on a single sheet of paper. And then these great little one-page adventures get published on the web and you can check them out. And I ran one of those for you guys um, last year sometime and it was a blast and it required very little preparation because it's a lot of great material it's all on one page so you can look at it and encompass it and understand it very quickly you know there's a lot of great resources like that out there uh, and you can use those as the entirety of your uh you know idea or you can take one of those as inspiration and design your own yeah it added one of our favorite characters uh to our story 
Hildo Diddle. <laughs> Hildo. Great NPC. I mean, let's be honest. That's like that's not a great uh, character or really a inv- like Hildo. Hildo is a Bilbo knockoff. What like from tip to toe, right? But he's a he was. We had a lot of fun with him. You've you created a character that we wanted to keep around partly to annoy you, and that is what <laughs> dungeon mastering really is. Exactly. Ah, Hildo. Well, that kind of brings up, uh, you know, because I, I know he he didn't. He come from entirely on that one page. Uh, so it, it's a lot of it is about improvisation. And in order to have successful improvisation at the table, um, you have to be ready for it. Um, the number one thing that I, ha- I have to have when I'm getting ready to sit down uh, to play some D&D uh, is a sheet of paper with some fantasy names scrawled on it. Because if I realize... <laughs> That um, that that there's you know suddenly we're we're talking to a new wizard and I don't have a cool wizard name made up, then what's going to happen is I'm going to look down at my keyboard and see have the, the have my eyes fall on the letter S and I'm going to name that wizard S key. <laughs> this is a literal thing that happened. Uh, wizard S key is our most annoying character in our D and D campaign, and, and it, yeah. it was many sessions before Shane confessed that S key was because. He didn't have a name prepared and glanced at his keyboard. Uh, it works. Esky the wizard is is great. But actually, that's a great hot tip. Like, I don't know if I could express how good a tip this is. Having some names prepared, even if you don't know what those characters are going to be, or especially if you don't know who those characters are going to be yet, is great. Because you can say, well, you're in a, you're in a, um, a, a tavern, and the characters are going to say, I want to look for the tallest person in here and you're not going to have like the tallest person prepared or you know i want to look for somebody uh like i want to look back behind the bar and see if i can uh you know find who, who who's the person that scrubs the pots i didn't create a character sheet for the kid that scrubs the pots but if i've got a, a list of names prepared i can pull that kid off and and sound like i'm super prepared because i've got a great fantasy name ready to go <laughs> And there are online generators. There's an online generator that I use for that. Uh, that's at a website called Donjon. Oh yeah, great site. Uh, I can't recommend that site enough. It's a great. It's a great resource. It has random generators for everything from um, names of dwarves to entire cities. And um, yeah, super super useful. Great for prep. They have a they have a like randomized generator that will create a tavern for you, complete with things like a menu. It will tell you like a list of NPCs someone might encounter there. It will give you the name of the tavern. When I was running our yeah, one rumors, shot, I basically just ran that generator and said, "Okay, this is the tavern in the town." Done. Also, pro tip: if you are running short on last names, uh, fonts are treasure trove of last names from everywhere i have sarah named... times new roman i mean my current person ella amaranth amaranth is the name of a font it also works pretty well as an elf name um uh my last confession i after i showed this tip with the um my last group, we ended up naming our troop Sans Comique. So <laughs> <laughs> this is my uh, this is my bard Ariel uh, Italic. 
Or uh, Johnny Wingdings. <laughs> Gil Sands is not a bad name. <laughs> That's actually a great name. Yeah, I'd, 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 uh, I'd uh, go on an adventure with uh, with him. Yeah, don't be afraid to be a little silly. And then just own it, you know? Once we decided Esky the wizard was, you know, he was our wizard, that guy, he stuck around. You know, what? once you really commit to a, to a character, and sometimes all it takes is like... A, a couple of details, you know, in order to hang your character on, you know, like with an NPC coming up with a name and, uh, you know, in the case of Esky, a slightly annoying voice and like one tick that Esky likes to appear in puffs of smoke. That's it. That's all it takes. And suddenly we've got this fully fleshed out, you know, quote unquote character that has stuck with us for a long time and feels like a part of the party, even though he was sort of a sort of like a random NPC that we happen to encounter. And that will happen with D&D. That just sort of automatically happens as people chit chat and and improvise and have fun with each other. So part of this is is about reducing part of the reason to do a lot of improvisation is to if you gain confidence with improvisation, you can reduce the amount of prep time that you do with it. And and because so much of your prep time is going to wind up wasted because you won't know what your players are going to want to do. So let's talk about what you actually, as a, as a DM should spend your time preparing. Um, Other than a list of names. Other than a list of names. So there's a, there's a principle that I learned from a, a book that is one of my Bibles as a dungeon master. It's a book called the lazy dungeon master. Uh, by Mike Shea, who goes by Sly Flourish on Twitter. We will have uh, this is a, really a, great uh, book. Uh, a link to this book in the show notes. Uh, and also, hopefully, to uh, Sly Flourish's uh, Twitter. He's great on Twitter if you're interested in, in uh, DMing. And he also DMing has his own, his own podcast as well, which is, which is definitely worth listening to. Um, but one of the kind of principles there is that, you know, the game is what happens at the table. So your prep should be focused on things that are going to make a difference at the table. Um, the, the first thing for me that makes a difference at the table is uh, knowing just sort of generally um, what's going on in the world around my characters. Um, and that starts with locations. Uh, knowing, having cool, having something cool that's going to be in any place like if you if you have a scene that starts in a tavern, it, it, you know this is a fantasy world. There better be something cool in that tavern. There has to be like a griffin head hanging on the wall or something, right? Um, other there has to be some high fantasy element to every scene, something that makes it dynamic. And if there's this is going to be a place where something dramatic happens, like a fight, well, you have to step that up even more. Thinking about this kind of thing can easily be left by the wayside. And then you have your 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 players wind up. Okay, well we're having we're having a fight. It's happening uh, in the street. Uh, what's in the street? Nobody's here. Um, there's no <laughs> carts going by. So you might as well be fighting in a featureless void, right? But if you if you take the time ahead of time to come up with some cool locations that you can that you can use, you know, a, an ancient crypt. You know where where ghostly smoke rises from the ground at all times, or um, an old saloon uh, that is owned by uh, 
by a, a, a woman who's a thousand years old. So a perfect example of this, and this is from published material, um, but and Shane, you may have to, what's the name of that uh, Dernan's Tavern? The one that's getting, the, the book is going to be about really soon from, from um, yeah, uh, the Yawning Portal. Yeah, so the that's Yawning Portal. A great, um, per- perfect example. You know, that's, you, you can start with, you know, this is a tavern in Waterdeep, but in the middle of the tavern, there's a hole in the ground that goes down into a dungeon. And then from that, you know, there's all these details that can come out of that. Okay, why did they build uh, a, a, a a tavern on top of a dungeon? Who's this guy that runs the tavern on top of a dungeon? Who built the dungeon? What's down inside the dungeon? You know, do do people have to pay to go down into the dungeon? You know, are they charging admission to the dungeon? And everything kind of grows <laughs> out. And in fact, they are. And everything kind of grows out. Is there out. a roller coaster in the dungeon? Yes, there absolutely <laughs> could be. And that's that's a great setting, and which is why it's something that's like appeared in multiple uh, you know, published D and D things. And I, I will uh, mention if you're not, you know, keeping your ear to the ground about upcoming D and D products, there's a book coming out soon that I'm really, really excited about called tales from the yawning portal, which is a collection of, uh, popular, uh, adventures from older editions of D and D mostly shorter ones, I think that have been updated to fifth edition and all kind of centered around the, the yawning portal tavern as a kind of a framing device. But the Yawning Portal in particular is like a great example of this idea. Like every location, no matter how mundane, you know, a tavern should have something fantastical in it that will ignite people's uh, imagination. And even if it seems sort of random, there's a hole in the middle of this uh, uh, of this uh, uh, tavern that goes down into the domain of a lich. That's perfect. That's perfect to, to kind of expand your world and make things feel alive and, and make a, a, every scene memorable. Absolutely. Coming up with coming up with and you can reuse those like it it, prep coming up with cool locations is never wasted uh, because you can always go back and reuse that with with some slight changes. The other thing that's super important uh, to make your world feel real uh, to prepare ahead of time is to understand who your NPCs are um, and what their motivations are and thinking about what they're doing, even when they're not. Uh, when they're away from where your your players really are, so it's 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 important to know um, it's important to know like what's the bad guy doing right now, you know what's he been doing the last little while? Uh, why do the people that are in why are these people in conflict? What why are was it, why is this orc tribe here? You know, even if you're just having the 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 players plow through a bunch of orcs, why is this orc tribe on the plains here, you know, between this, these two cities or, or what have you. So understanding those motivations and um, kind of coming up with something again, that is fantastical and unique is going to be time. That's always well, well spent. You can think big, but know that your sessions will be small. So you can plan for a, you know, your your main bad guy's doing this, but this evening we're playing, well, they're probably just going to, you know, my players are in this orc camp, and we're probably going to spend the most of the time in this orc camp. I don't have to plan every single major plot change right now. I just need to make sure that the session I'm doing tonight is fun for myself and for my players. And your sessions are built on a cadence that you want. You know, Shane said earlier, like, you know, a lot of team, a lot of groups play every week, but you don't have to. You can play every two weeks. You can play once a month. Um, 
you know, when I first started uh, with my group, we were we were doing weeknights, and it would be short sessions, and uh, we were trying every week, but it just didn't work for everyone's schedule. So now we 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 stick to weekends. It's less often, but we can go a little bit longer, and it works for us. Um, there's a little bit of recap at the beginning because it might have been a few weeks since our last, but you know, that's fine. You know, that's actually the third thing that I think is the best use of your time preparing. Um, and this is maybe not even something that people think about when they're thinking about preparing for the next session, but recaps of the last session are extremely valuable. Having having a recap that reminds people of what the stakes are and what's going on um, will help the players get re-engaged with your game. And also reviewing your notes of what happened last time. And if you're improvising, you should be taking notes. Like if you if you pull a name off of your list and you uh, if you find out that you know you, you picked you pulled a name that says like uh, Lothar Switchtop is the is the gnomish adventurer that I had to make up on the fly because they wanted to hire someone to to uh, to help to mind the donkey. Yeah, to mind the donkey, <laughs> right? So if I if I come up with that, um, it's important that in the moment I write that down and take a note about anything relevant that I need to remember about that character. A really good strategy for an improviser as a dungeon master or even someone who's not improvising is don't make something new if something old will do. Don't come up with a new location or a new NPC if you can reuse one that the characters already have a relationship with. So um, it's much more fun if someone roll, even if you're rolling into town for the first time, if somebody that you see there is, you know, you can plausibly come up with a reason why, why someone that the players already know is there. um, That's way better than if you are rolling into town and now you have to introduce all these new totally brand new characters like how did esky get to daggerford before us that jerk (laughs) and uh and that's a great moment you know seeing somebody that you've seen before uh you already have a, a existing relationship with them and you don't have to explain who that character is to your party or give them a reason to care there's already like a built-in thing that's such a, that's such a great tip i it pains me as a brother to give compliments to shane it really truly does <laughs> but this is something that shane does really well um just this idea of like giving great recaps and reintroducing things that have already come up in the past and and you know in in new contexts uh you know you don't have to be writing down full character bios for every npc that you you know run across um but it, as long as you remember that uh that gnomish dude who loaded the wagon you remember what his name was and some detail about him that's memorable enough that the players will remember that he existed introducing him again is far better than coming up with yet another gnome I, my rule of thumb there is like three unique things. So for every place, for every, uh, for every NPC or whatever, try and come up. I like to try and come up with three unique things that define them. Um, and you know, you can come up with like one or two and then like add, add on later. But if you, if you hit that point, you've got somebody who will be recognizable to the players when they come back to it. I've had, I've had situations where like, I just needed to wrap combat early. And so, 
Um, and you know, it was already clear that the, the fight was lost. So I decided any remaining enemies were going to try and get away. Well, players didn't want to let the enemies get away. Uh, and it seemed like they were going to be spending a long time chasing this one last straggler down. (laughs) And so I decided that that straggler had, um, a cloak of displacement that enabled her to, enabled her to, her to escape. Right. Well, not by bringing that one random mook, uh, back, uh, later, so this cloak of displacement, that's something unique about this character. Um, and I, I built that up. Not only did they really want to kill this one enemy that got away, <laughs> uh, even more now because that enemy had a cloak of displacement that they really wanted. Um, like that, that enemy was able to then come back with a backstory and, uh, you know, more motivations. Uh, and that's the seed for a whole new encounter, right? So, so that's how you build... Uh, build stakes by having rad items that people want. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Tempt them with the good loot. So something that, that has, has become a big mainstay of my gameplay these days, which never was before, um, is theater of the mind play. Um, this is another way to respect your player's time because fl- frankly, theater of the mind. So first off, let's define that term. Um, many people, when they think of Dungeons and Dragons, think of it, in terms of a grid with miniatures on it. But every element of the game can be resolved without any miniatures faster. All the rules work perfectly well with, you know, sort of general distances. This relies on the dungeon master to be very clear in their mind about where multiple enemies are at any given time and, like, who's engaged with a monster and and, and who's not. But the, the current rules are simple enough that this actually works really well. Uh, when we play over Skype, 90% of what we do is theater of the mind. And that helps move, th- move things along a lot. Do you guys have any tips uh, for what can make for good theater of the mind combat? For me, uh, in terms of combat, it mostly has to do with asking when I need to know the distance from my character to all the other characters and just the general layout. Um, you know, you don't have to have a perfect mental picture of every detail of the falling down uh, barn that you're having f- combat in. You don't need to know where every plank and beam is lying. As long as you know, okay, most of my spells have a range of 60 feet or 30 feet or whatever it would be. And I need to know which of these things that I'm trying to kill are within that range and uh, which of them I could get into range in a turn or two. I mean, you say theater of the mind, but I think a piece of paper and a sketch of what matters to you helps quite a bit. My character flies. No one else flies. I actually have to pay attention to things like ceilings, and I, I'm, I have a different kind of visual space than the other characters. So though it's theater of the mind, I know that I can get places pretty quickly. For me, it's more keeping out of range is a bigger deal. Uh, something else that I try to keep track of is um, who people have attacked already. And I think that's the number one thing to slow down combat as a player is if you don't know who's been hit and you just are attacking fresh meat, then basically it's going to take a really long time to grind down because mm-hmm. then everyone else is going to get turned. So if you can focus fire, it helps very, very much. And also it'll it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to attack the guy that just got hit. <laughs> yeah. So that brings something up for me. Um, as the dungeon master, like, 
I when I do the theater of the mind style combat, a lot of what I hear from my players is like, okay, who's who's already wounded? Um, I'm just going to go and hit that person. Um, and so I I always feel like I want to create like really interesting dynamic situations, right? The thing about about combat and theater of the mind, your players have to know who your their opponents are. And so every enemy has to have something unique. If you're just fighting like a bunch of wolves, you got to have a white wolf and a brown wolf, right? Um, if you're fighting a bunch of orcs, you've got to have an orc with a hat. You got to have an orc with a tattoo. You got to have an orc with a scar. And you want to continue to kind of build up unique things about those orcs. So reminding players, okay, well, the orc with the scar now has uh, like a sword stuck through his shoulder, or something. So you remember, okay, he's he's the one that's wounded. Like communicating that kind of important information to your players in a way that flows with the story but doesn't slow things down gives them the information that they need in a flavorful way. That's the important thing in theater of the mind to me. That's a really good point. You know, making sure that when you identify things about the you know the enemies uh, physically that it ties into the combat. You know, like uh, this one is bleeding profusely from the eye that identifies him so that, you know, folks know which one it is and indicates, well, this guy is wounded. Maybe we ought to try to focus fire on him to eliminate him from combat or, you know, the one whose arm just got chopped off is using his last remaining arm to strangle your friend. That's great because it, it identifies him. You know, he's the one with one arm now and it tells you like where he is and a lot of information about that status uh, without you having to be like, okay, wait, how far far was he from everybody again? He's obviously close to the one he's strangling, so you know what's going on. This is something that I learned a lot from other games. Because uh, D&D, you know, I, I always played it with, like, minis on a grid and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a lot of games out there like uh, Fate and uh, Fiasco and things like that where the interactions are very different. You know, and there's no there's no board that you're playing on. Uh, and I really do think that these kinds of games are, you know, if they if they had the big name that D&D has, like they would probably be more more popular with new players, things, things like that, because they're very accessible. Um, Fate is a is a really great system where what's relevant here is that it, it assumes kind of theater of the mind. Uh, it divides the battleground into zones, and your movement is between zones. And there's a lot of uh, of rules that supports uh, like creating uh, advantage for yourself or disadvantage for the enemy uh, in a particular zone, right? Uh, and the way that plays out nar- is 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 very narrative friendly and very fast. So um, I don't know. Are are there any other kind of uh, tips that you guys have from other games that might have Yeah, played. I think that if you're playing D&D and maybe your game is getting bogged down or or you're looking for something that is truly short one-night experience, I think it's really helpful to refresh your group with a one-shot or play a game of Fiasco or play a game of Fate, but like kind of shake it up a little bit. Um, or just go on a random side quest for a day that has nothing to do with the central arcing plot because I think... If your game is feeling long and drawn out, maybe you just need to learn, like kind of relearn how to be short. And I think that 
It also can help if you're trying to introduce a new character or a new player to the game. Um, try to get someone involved who's never been involved before. It's a little easier to say, hi, I would like you to play a game of Fate. It'll take three hours than to say, let me introduce you to the entire world of D&D in one night. Yeah, so, or even if you are introducing I, them to D&D, if you can tell them, hey, we're playing D&D and we have a really short little one-shot thing to play that you know we're going we're gonna to take on uh, you know, a vampire in his castle and it's going to be one night, you know, we're going to do one thing this one night, then that's a, that's a ramp in that, that might help bring people in that would never say, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to join you guys every Wednesday for the next three months. Yeah. I also keep a folder, um, in, I have a folder where I keep, you know, copies of all my players character sheets, but in that folder, I also have, um, pre generated, pre-printed character sheets that I can just put in front of a new player if they happen to arrive. Um, and you don't have to even spend a lot of time making these. There's sites online where you can like randomly generate them or find ones that people have already made for practically every class and race combination that's out there. So you could say, okay, well, hey, you're this week, you're a, you're a gnome bard. I'm just going to throw this. Don't, don't make the new player a bard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Learn from Laura. And you're a you're a you're a a halfling fighter, or you're a you're a uh, elf wizard. Also, a, uh, a, wizard. a couple years ago when we first started the podcast, if I uh, if you left us an iTunes review, Reagan or Shane would make you a character sheet. That's um, true. We did that promotion for a while. Maybe we should, <laughs> maybe, we should maybe we should bring that back. Um, if you're if you're out there and uh, you haven't ever left us an iTunes review, which we always super appreciate. Uh, I'll, this time I'll come up with a and d name for you. Um, <laughs> the last time that actually took me way too long, which is why I stopped doing it. Oh, okay. Okay. Your your very own D&D name from uh, from great dungeon master Shane if you uh, yeah. if you leave us an iTunes review and let us know about it. Yeah. So one of the things that since this is probably our only episode on D&D, I do want to share with people outside resources that you can find. There's a ton of resources for people who are interested in playing Dungeons and Dragons. So first off, um, I mentioned uh, Sly Flourish right up front. He does a lot of great articles uh, online. In fact, uh, I can highly recommend uh, his recent article on um, encounter building, the rules for building combat encounters and balancing them in D&D are one of the places where the rules are uh, the most complex and where I was spending a ton of my prep time. Uh, but he has uh, some alternative things that basically get you to the same result uh, with a lot less work. Um, and on the subject of kind of setting up your encounters, there's also online uh, resources that you can use. Like uh, there's a website called Kobold Fight Club at kobold.club that you can use to uh, basically you tell it, hey, I've got six level four players. Uh, how many um, orcs can I put them up against before it becomes deadly? That is a great site. It's a, it's a little, um, their UI is a little, I don't know, tricky to use, but once you figure it out, you kind of have to read the little readme on it. But once you figure it out, it's an incredible resource. You can like, yeah. uh, you can put your players and their stats in and then it will track for you like uh, it'll keep track of turn order um it'll 
it's really simple, but and it's fast to use once you know how to use it. Um, but it really helps move combat along at a quick clip. It will help you keep track of whose turn it is and how uh, what everybody's HP is. It knows the like appropriate challenge ratings for basically everything in the uh, in the dungeon master's guide and the monster manual. So uh, it really is a great site. Kobold.club. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Yeah, and that that kind of brings me back to we were talking earlier about preparation. Um, that's that's kind of the uh, the thing that went unspoken there is that knowing what all of the abilities of the you know creatures and characters in your combat encounters are that's time well spent yeah don't uh, forget that your vampires can turn into mist or whatever like that's a cool ability knowing that they can do that is going to spice things up um and so you got to know like what what are all of what are all the the like cards in the deck for for every one of the things that your players are fighting wizards of the coast uh the creators of D also have their own new set of tools that are currently in beta and will, I believe, ultimately uh, include a lot of these same features in terms of encounter building and things like that. They don't have all those tools out yet, uh, but I will go ahead and say dndbeyond.com is where you will find those tools. Uh, Things are currently in beta. I can't tell you whether those are going to be great or not, or whether they're going to... I know that they're going to charge for some of those features, uh, so I can't really uh, recommend it at this point, but watch, watch what happens over there. While we're recommending things to check out, I want to plug that uh, last year in you know summer of 2016, um, you know, we don't have a, we don't record our our, our uh, D&D sessions. Uh, we just sort of play and that's it. But if you want to hear Shane DM a session of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, he was a guest over at the Duck Feed Network. Uh, you may be familiar with them from uh, like Watch Out for Fireballs or um, they got a, a ton of great podcasts over on Duck Feed. Um, a while back, they did a D&D special episode. They have a feed on their site for like special episodes. I'll have a link in the show notes. And Shane was the DM for them and did a really great session. Um, so if you want to hear a complete D&D session by Shane, uh, doing one of his signature adventures, ones that one that we played through and he's run for a couple of other groups uh, since it's a it's a really great time. So I'll have a link in the in the description or in the show notes if you want to hear Shane run a pretty good session with uh, all the duck feed guys. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'd love anybody's feedback on that. So a few other things that are worth worth checking out um, for new DMs. We're talking about keeping prep time low. Uh, I mentioned um, the Lazy DM as a, as a great book uh, with a lot of really useful advice there. I've got to read that. Um, but there's also another book uh, by that same author that falls into sort of a category of books that I really wish there were more of. There's a lot of published adventures out there, and it's entirely possible to go and you know pull one of those off the shelf and pick out maybe a location or an encounter or an enemy or something and just use it in your own game. That's kind of just the, the the tools of the trade for for DMs is kind of using and reusing and abusing um, published adventures. But there are a few books that are designed for this kind of use uh, that are designed to let you to give you little nuggets of content that you can like steal and drop into your own game. Uh, one of the best is called Fantastic Locations. It's also by Mike Shea, who wrote The Lazy DM. And it's just a, a book that has no like encounters really in it. It's just great locations. Uh, and each location has uh, some images and is just written up in a really good way that shows 
uh, that has just some cool elements for every place, something that's going to be relevant at the table and something that's going to make for a cool place to have some kind of encounter. And it's really easy to use and reuse. There's a couple of other books in this style. One is uh, from Kobold Press, and it's a book called Prepared, with an exclamation mark. And this is just encounters that are for every uh, every level from 1 to 15. They have like one or two encounters that you can just drop randomly into your um, into your campaign. Uh, one of them in there I've used and is like... By, I've actually used uh, two of those in you guys' campaign. And I'm not going to tell you what encounters <laughs> they were. Um, but there's one that I used in my other uh, in my other campaign that is one of my absolute favorites. It's just goblins it's where you, you drop hints about uh, the impregnable fortress. And it turns out that the goblins' impregnable fortress uh, is actually a cart that they flipped upside down. <laughs> some arrow slits in. Uh, and then dug, dug a big hole underneath. That's awesome, right? And it's a memorable encounter with some some great uh, some great NPCs. Uh, level appropriate, a great way to make you know an encounter with some low level enemies. Uh, something fun that stands out, right? Uh, so books like that are great. There was one in fourth edition called the Book of Challenges that had a lot of that you could probably still use today. That has a bunch of um, puzzles and things like that that you could drop in. Uh, and I, I if if anyone out there in the 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 publishing industry, the, the RPG industry is listening. We need more books like this. Uh, there's also a lot of reusable content like that in places like the Dungeon Masters Guild now. And the Dungeon Masters Guild uh, is kind of an offshoot of Drive-Thru RPG, which is a website for people who create homebrew RPG content and then sell it as a PDF on an online store. Um, and the Dungeon Masters Guild is one specifically for D&D. Uh, where not only can you do that uh, and sell your own content, but you can you can use Wizards of the Coast trademark stuff in the content that you're selling. Uh, so you can actually make something about a beholder or that takes place in the Forgotten Realms, uh, and you know I think that's pretty awesome. There's a huge, great, thriving community with tons of great authors there. And I have I steal and buy stuff. Not I don't steal stuff from the Dungeon Masters Guild. I <laughs> buy stuff from the Dungeon Masters Guild and then steal the ideas for using my campaign. <laughs> it's an amazing set of resources. Like it's never been easier to do this stuff. The the only thing that is a little bit troublesome is that you can't get PDF copies of the fifth edition core books, at least not yet. You can get a lot of the basic rules online, but you do still, if you want to actually purchase a copy of the books, you do need to actually get physical books. But apart from that, there's so many online resources now that make this whole process super simple and easy. So really a great time to, uh, to, to just explore that stuff. Check it out. Do it. Do it. So uh, I know this episode was a little bit different from our usual fare here on The Short Game, where we review video games and not uh, nerdy hobbies. Um, but, uh, you know, was this something that you liked? Was this something that you don't like? I'd love to hear your feedback um, either uh, on Twitter, which I think is the best place to reach us, or on our Facebook page. Um, what, are we, what are we doing next week? Do we have a game set up other than Breath of the Wild? <laughs> <laughs> Man, Breath of the Wild do. has like wrecked this podcast. We we are um, 
Uh, I don't. I can barely tear myself away from it to play play other short video games. So we'll be playing something that's probably not eight hours next week. <laughs> we haven't decided on it yet. Uh, yep. There's a couple things in our queue uh, that we're kind of deciding between, but I think that it will be up to the Breath of the Wild folks to <laughs> find out how long they will tear themselves away from the Switch slash Wii U. Yeah, you can find all of us uh, on Twitter. Uh, so the, the show itself is on Twitter at underscore short game. Um, I still don't know why Reagan decided to start our podcast Twitter with an underscore. I think it looks dumb. It's ESPN's uh, fault, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it, you can find me on Twitter uh, at 8BitShane. And uh, Reagan, where can they find you? At Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Reagan. Uh, yeah, Ray Gank. Uh, Laura, where can people reach out to you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And uh, Nate, where can you be found? At Nate STL. And see you next time on The Short Game.